Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of The Women Your Mother Warned You About, brought to you by Sales Gravy and backed by popular demand, our fractional co-host, Jeff Bajoric. Who is popular and demanding me? That's what I want to know. We do have fans. We do have fans. I like um, them to identify themselves. They they comment on social media. One of them recently commented, uh, and this is on my list of things. She commented on the episode that I did on menopause, and which is an aha I want to share in our yeah. learning out loud series, which I love. <laughs> stealing that from you. You're I, welcome. I, I, yeah, so I got a lot of thoughts on that, but. Her com- I had so many comments on that podcast on menopause. And it here's a learning out loud moment for me. I just didn't realize that was such an important topic to people. I thought, let's mm. talk about it. I mean, several years ago, we did a whole episode on menstruation. And we had a guy on the show, too. And we talked about how that shows up in the workplace, like attitudinally, like how people, you know, say things like, oh, she must be on her period and just kind of attitude about that kind of a yeah, taboo topic. It's not nice. Yeah, it's not how we kind of put people in that box. But I think the, menstru- the menopause would be a good episode. And this woman that I had on the show that specializes in it, she's part of a mastermind group that I'm in. But the reactions to it, all these women like, we need to talk about this. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for doing this. Thank you. for. And I was like, are we really not talking about this? Is this really? It was just kind of an aha. And then someone said, the only thing better than that episode would be if like you and Jeff Bajoric talked about it. (laughs) Oh, dear. So so a challenge was, I definitely don't want to do another menopause episode today. The real aha is about when we don't realize that there's a need and people want to have conversations about things that we avoid having conversations about. Okay, I love that. So my question to you is, did you not realize or recognize that it was worth talking about? Or did you not recognize that you were uniquely positioned to talk about it? Or did you not realize that no one else is talking about it in a business context? I have not seen people talking about it in a business context. And that's why I wanted to talk about it. I thought this would be a really kind of interesting topic because I have or am, I'm not sure, still, I don't know. I've The menopause thing has happened for me. And years ago when I was coaching women entrepreneurs and I was not experiencing that life reality, women would complain to me about how they were tired and they needed to take a nap in the middle of the day and they would describe the issues that they were having and they would say menopause this, menopause that. And because I didn't have an understanding, I clearly had some level of unconscious bias to it because I'm like, just stop your complaining. Just get up and do the work. And I, as a woman, that was my reaction. And then I went through it. I was like, oh shit, this is real. Yeah. I have a little bit of experience with this. Okay. I remember my mom going through it my wife and I are at a certain age where it's starting to be talked about among our friends. And we're also in the unique position where my voice is a little raspy this morning because my daughter had a track meet yesterday and she was getting after it. And so I didn't realize how raspy I was until I woke up this morning and started talking to you. I love Um, it. But like we, we talk about this stuff regularly because my daughter's 13, 14, and she had to run 
in a track meet last week through one of her most uncomfortable days. And there's this, and I struggle with this because I am empathetic to it. I can't possibly, man. I mean, it's different. As a man, we just don't have those kinds of physical issues on that regular of a basis. So there's this balance between, okay, there's a job that needs to be done and I'm in a position to do it. And yeah, out of nowhere, five to 10 days a month, I might just feel like I'm being stabbed in the abdomen. And then what I understand later in life, when you get to the menopausal stage, it's just random Like your hormones are just rebalancing, I think is the most generous way to say it. And that's a real thing too. So the issue is we have jobs to do. And listen, there are executives going through that right now, making very important presentations to investors and board members and everything. And the idea that so much hinges On those conversations, when there are things that are certainly out of your control uh, going on to affect your moods, your energy levels, your performance, that's the word that I'm looking for. Wow. I mean, first and foremost, I tip my hat to those women who have to deal with those kind of factors that we don't. And, you know, secondly, it's I don't know where to draw the line for should there be an allowance for that? Should I mean, but then it's like that's really tricky, too, because. Not everybody has it the same. And I mean, like it's, I think we have to acknowledge, surprise, surprise, that humans are not robots and that there are factors that get in the way. And I think we need to bring a more human-centric approach to our businesses and to recognize that things do get in the way. And that yeah, be beyond the menopause. I know we're talking about the menopause thing, but that's just one of, yeah. Yeah, people have things that happen, let's just call it general health issues. General health issues have that impact. And the last thing you want to do is tell a boss or a client, I don't feel well today. Right. And I can't function. I'm not functioning at my best because I don't feel well today. I mean, I could think about having to get up and keynote speak with not COVID, but COVID like symptoms, like run down coughing, can't stop coughing. And you got to get on stage and you got to speak. And I'm like, the client doesn't need to know. I feel like dying right now. And I'm going to push through this. Right. We don't want to have that conversation because we're going to be judged for it. Questioned. Our abilities are questioned. And it was just interesting having so many women react because it's not a conversation we talk about. I mean, I think, We talk about, oh, I got COVID and it's affecting me and we have an open conversation, but the menopause thing is a weird, like, oh, I don't want to touch that. Oh, and it's taboo. Right. You you don't talk about, I mean, listen, men don't talk about stuff below the belt, like issues that actually happen. Women even less. And I mean, look, I'm, so my daughter's in her teens. I mean, she's got friends that won't even talk about their cycles, things like that. And it's just, it's, I mean- it's a taboo thing. And we don't talk about that. We just don't talk about that. Um, My daughter's like, this is a regular part of my daily life. If I can't talk about it, what can I talk about? So, and that's full credit to, that's, I, I will accept a mild supporting role in that, but all the credit (laughs) goes to my wife because she's a champion when it really, as it relates to that stuff. But the, it's taboo to begin with because we don't like to talk about that. 
and I just, it's too real not to talk about. So my question to you, Gina, is if not you, then who? This is something where, look, you already have non-traditional kind of taboo, kind of you're bringing sexy back to, to business, just brutally savaging your or ravaging your tagline, by the way, but you're making business sexy again or something. I'm a fractional co-host. I should know this stuff, (laughs) but you know, you're in a position where you are leading a network, an audience, a community of women in business. Who else to talk about this stuff? Good point. So I'm asking you to lead us, Gina, on the spot. I feel like you put a challenge down for me. I mean, I don't want it to be confrontational like a challenge, (laughs) but I've identified a need that you are uniquely suited to satisfy. I I love that. That's a really good sound clip right there. (laughs) (laughs) With no content and build a fence while you're at it. That's what... I want to break down the fences. I want to break down. I don't like fences. I don't like boundaries. I don't like boxes. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I am positioned for that. What I'm going to do with that, I'm not quite sure yet, but definitely at least be open to the conversation that this stuff happens and now I'm more empathetic to it that we can talk about it. I was even in a, a discovery call with a woman who... She brought it up as an issue for herself that menopause kicked in and it was really kicking her ass and it was really affecting her performance. Yeah. And she didn't know how to talk about it because, again, we don't want anyone to judge us. And here's the interesting thing is that at this stage in life, as women in sales or business or what any whatever career you're in, you're at like the pinnacle, right? Because... You have so much knowledge and experience. You are at the height. You are, you're worth, you're pre, you're at a premium rate at this mm-hmm. strike. I've actually just started to accept that. I'm like, anytime someone's like, oh my God, that's amazing. If I'm coaching or training and I'm like, is it? I don't know. It's kind of like an everyday thing to me, right? <laughs> you get what I'm saying. I'm kind of bored actually, but uh, let it rock your world. <laughs> right. And you're like, oh, you know what? Except, like, except, grasp that because you yeah. get to a point in your career where you're like, you know what? I know a lot of shit. Yeah, yeah you're right. I know these things. And so, so that, so you, that's an interesting part is that we're at like the best time in our career. And then, boom, you get hit with that menopause thing. And whether it's moods and balancing hormones or literally, the I need to take a nap in the middle of the afternoon is real. And I've also learned how to like listen to my body. I was to a point where we work internationally. I'm on the East Coast. Someone on the West Coast is like pushing to meet with me at seven o'clock my time at night. And now I've done that a few times and I sucked. I sucked at the conversations and didn't get deals because by seven o'clock at night, I got nothing left. Yep. And I'm trying to accommodate. And I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I have to draw a hard boundary line that I don't do it. I had a client who is kind of a high maintenance client that missed a scheduled meeting, which was an update meeting, and then messages me the other day like, hey, message, message me, but put 
time on my calendar, just sent a blank invite of like, need to meet with you at this time. And I'm like, dude, I'm like, I'm booked for weeks. It's not how this (laughs) works. Right. And he's like, can we meet? I need an update. Sorry, I missed the meeting. And I'm like, and then I'm like, I'm really sorry. I'm fully booked today. He's like, well, how about we meet tonight? Extra credit for you. Yeah. So there's a bigger concept there that encompasses what we've already been talking about with menopause and hormones and just knowing when the best time to do this stuff is knowing when you're at your best. Yes. And you know what? We're at an age where we can say, you know what? Technically, there's some open space on my calendar at 8 p.m. You're not going to get my best because there's no open space until 8 p.m. And I want you to think about what that means. So, yeah, can't do it. Do you want the 15-minute cliff notes over a casual cup of coffee on a Saturday morning? All right. That's cool. It Look, you missed the meeting. That's fine. You want to give me extra credit? I'll give you extra credit when you, when it makes sense. And I've had people, I talked, my daughter's track meets they're twice a week, right? And for whatever reason, it's just a nightmare because road construction here in Southeastern Michigan and why we're traveling so far for these middle school meets is weird. But anyway, <laughs> I've spent a fair amount of time in my car near, near the end of the afternoon. And when stuff comes up, it's like, hey, you can have me. I'll be in my car if that's okay. If we can't be a face-to-face meeting, I won't be able to take notes, but like, look, you want to catch up on some things? And look, we have a lot of calls during the day where that's actually probably the best time to take them. It's just kind of reconnecting and things. But I think as salespeople, and this is another topic that I guess we're just jumping onto because- But we do. I'm going, yeah. is you have leverage in the relationship, yeah. this whole, the customer is always right. The customer, we need to lay down at their feet every time they ask us to jump or tell us to jump. We need to ask how high, like, hold on here. This is a relationship. This is a partnership. You bring value to the equation. And I believe that you have earned the right to say no. And to say no with the reason of, you know what? That time of day is not my best. With everything going on, I am, you want to add this just to the end of my day. I'm not going to be able to prepare for this meeting. I'm going to be worn out because I run from beginning to end. You did miss our meeting. So there is some accountability (laughs) for that. And I gave, I offered you time when I was ready or when I would be ready. And we have, we have standing appointments. For crying out loud. I'll see you at the next meeting. Here's a bullet pointed memo that I'll be able to jot down and type out and you'll have it within the next 24 hours. Great. I'll do that for you for extra credit. But how about you just get a passing grade and show up for class? Like I wouldn't be so flippant. That's my inside voice. Exactly. But we're here. Nobody's here with us. This is just you and me. You're nobody's. Nobody gets to take advantage of you that way. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think that's where you learn how to draw boundaries based on when are you at your best? And I mean, I had a discovery a couple years ago, maybe a year and a half ago, while it's sales gravy that just went really bad. It was horrible. It was such a horrible call on my part. And it really was, I was so exhausted and fatigued and was trying to accommodate this person who was forcing me into this 7 p.m. call because it was the only time he was available. And I'm like, 
And the guy just never responded back to me. Like, I mean, I, it was just bad. It was a bad call. And I'm like, I shouldn't have had the call. I shouldn't have done it. I should have drawn the boundaries and understand that. My other observation, like when this one, this client specifically, I've noticed that when I just, I stand because of the way his personality is a really interesting persona. And one of his, one of his direct reports has shared with me, like how to manage him and Mm -hmm. this is in the process. And the approach I've taken with him is this is how we're going to do it. And he does go along with that, right? Like in the beginning, there there was an attempt of a power struggle of I'm going to boss you around kind of mentality. And I didn't take it. I'm like, no, this is how we're going to do it. And so when I responded back with giving him a yes and of like, well, I could do it between 5.30 and 6 p.m. That's what I got. And his response was, well, I think I'll still be at dinner with my friends. Oh, I'm like, well, I'll be at dinner with my family after six. And we have we have boundaries. Yes. Like nothing drives my husband crazier than when I take a call when he's gotten home from work at 630 and we're preparing dinner. Nothing irritates him more. And so I've just drawn the boundaries. It's family time is kicked in. Right. It's this is a great story. You never have a better day in sales than when you fire your worst customer. Oh, yeah. And I remember this particular customer. He was an orthopedic surgeon. That's who I sold to for a long time. And I could not believe, like, it, and most of our communication was through email. He's, I got a surgery coming up. I need this. And we had these different specifications. He was always asking for the moon and didn't want to pay for anything. And I remember going back and forth with them and then finally thinking to myself, you know what? I don't need this business. And so... I changed, I mentally fired him. I didn't even have to fire him. I mentally fired him. And I just said, you know what? I'm just going to change the tone. I'm going to be a little shorter with my offers in my communication. I'm going to say, hey, this is what I've got for you. You've got time to find another option if you want. But hey, this is what I've got. Is this what you want? And I remember just not hearing from him and the emails went unreturned and everything. So finally, I knew I could see him on Friday mornings in the office. I knew what his car looked like because he had a personalized license plate whole thing. So I'm like, all right, I'm going in. Drove across town Friday morning, walk in. Hey, I need to talk to Doc. Oh yeah. He's in the, yeah, I figured I saw his car. Right. So they let me back to the office, walk in. Hey doc. He's like, dude, I'm sorry. He's like, I, I, I've missed a couple of emails. I, he's like, look, I really appreciate what you do. I'll take this one. Thank you. Really sorry about this. All I did was change my own tone internally, which was reflected in the way I yeah. communicated externally and he flipped. And I was like, whoa, wait a second. Boundaries work. And the thing that I've learned recently, maybe this is a learning out loud, depends on your definition of recent. I learned it a couple of years ago. People are afraid to demonstrate their boundaries because they're afraid that they're going to offend people. But what I've learned is most people will respect your boundaries because yes, they yeah. wish they had them too. Yeah. So when you say, no, not going to do that. I can't. It's family time. But hey, I got to run. Can we talk tonight at seven? I'm like, no, we're, that's family time. We're just sitting around after dinner. We're catching up on our days. We're watching a little TV or something like that. I can't do it. And I've said that to people. I'm like, wow, that's really cool. All right. Yeah. When can we talk instead? And maybe it's a week out. And they're like, okay. When you go through and look, people are busy and our calendars are full and then, and our calendars are full 
often with stuff that isn't as important as it should be in order to make the cut, but we don't have the boundaries to say no. And so it's so refreshing when you have someone, it's like, you're important, but so is all this other stuff. And nobody's important. Nobody's as important as the three other people that I live here with. And they take precedence after dinner. Here's another aha to that, right? Going back to taboo topics. I think there is some taboo involved with honesty of saying, you know what? It's family time. Because I say that because I used to feel guilty about it. Now, I'm going to put this before my family because it's for my family, right? Mm -hmm. Like closing a deal, keeping a client happy, right? Making money is for my family. And with all that being said, I'm not going to have a family if I don't do the thing, other things. But I've for many years have avoided being truthful and honest because I feel like I'm going to be judged. I saw you make a face, but I mean, now I'm in a habit of saying, now I'm in a habit of saying, you know what? I'm just, it's family time. I've got things planned with my family. We're doing dinner. And like last night we went to the Sky Wheel in Myrtle Beach because they lit it up in blue and green to put attention on NF, which is a condition my husband has. And he was so excited because it was like a national outreach thing and he got the Sky Wheel to do it locally. And he was so pumped up about it. And my inside voice was like, I've got so much work to do. I'm like, but this is important to him. Right. And so not available. Right. But I'm now willing to say I'm not available because of my family. When I think about when I started saying that, it was when I had little kids. And I wonder if that was easier for me, or I wonder if it would have, if you would have perceived it to be easier for you if you had little kids. Yeah, that's a good, yeah, possibly. It's not that, it's not that your husband isn't any less important. Yeah. Right. It's just there's something did the mood changes. And I well, think and, and also my stepson was with us. So so okay. when my stepson is with us, because we only have him half the week, I'm always looking for opportunities for the three of us mm-hmm. to be engaged. So that was part of it, too. And that's a big deal. Yeah. So, I mean, like that's when little kids entered the picture in my life it became a lot easier. And some of it was my maturity too. Cause you know, when I got married, my stepson was, well, yeah, when I got married, my stepson was 10, 11. When Laura and I got together, he was five. So we always had a little kid around, but it was, that was a different part of my career. And he was like 11 by the time I really, but when I got my second sales job, yeah, he was 11. So there was that aspect of it when my first sales job, I just didn't know what I was doing. Right. So I was just, I had no boundaries. And so when I started putting boundaries up, he was already a little bit older and we had him half the time. So there was always a way to maneuver around that. But then when I had, when we had little kids, when Gator and Buster were born, it was a different vibe and I got a different vibe from leadership. And I just, there was a sense of like, you just don't get this time back. And they were respectful of that. I think my performance dictated a lot of things. Because by that time, by the time I missed our, my first President's Club trip because my daughter was born like that week. So there was just, I think maybe timing had something to do with it or the serendipity of it. But I think there's a sense of maybe a sense of guilt among senior leadership now because there were still a lot of people who wished they would have been around for their kids when they were younger. Yeah. And so given someone who's a little, a little 
given someone who's in that stage of their life, like I've got a client right now, I'm set to do something with an an engagement with a client and one of the people is due to be on maternity leave throughout this two month, nine week engagement. And I'm like, you sure you want to do this? (laughs) Like, I get it. It's an hour and a half a week. All right. Maybe you've got coverage support. I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you your life. Right. But you sure you want to do this? (laughs) Like, There's going to be stuff that's just quite frankly, more important than this. Yeah, I've said the same thing in those situations. And I coach a lot of men. And now more and more men are taking paternity leave. And same kind of thing. I'm like, you sure you want to jump back in this quickly? And he's like, oh, I'm going to need the distraction. Yeah, right. But it's up to them to make the decision. Yeah, sometimes that is the opportunity to do it because I can actually focus on this now because I don't have the other 40 hours a week taking up my time. And I get that. And that's a very strategic decision to make for some people. Like, hey, this will be a welcome break. It's kind of a change of scenery at work anyway. And it'll give me a break because I look, love my kids. But man, can I have just, can I have 90 minutes to myself (laughs) once a week? Right. Like, can we do that? Yeah. That's the, we all need that. And if you want to spend that diversion that way, that's fine. I just, it's interesting. We get back to the whole performance and when are you at your best and when are you not at your best? And we've talked about different stages of life and things like that today. It's so interesting though, because some people, let's say going back to menopause, some women won't have it as badly as other people will or won't be affected as much as they will. So is that a competitive advantage? Is that even fair to even think of as a competitive advantage, given that it's largely something out of your control? I mean, well, I guess yeah. you could take you know, some meds and you could well, I was you know, do just, some I was, I was just going to say, I mean, from a competitive, if, if you look at it that way, that is what I did is hormone replacement therapy, which is costly, not covered by insurance. Don't even right. get me down that rabbit hole because my husband's oh. like, what? How is this not covered? My hormone stuff is, how is yours? I'm like, well, that's a whole nother story. But that was the route I chose to take because I didn't want to have it so bad. I didn't want to be sweating on camera. Right. Didn't want to have hot flashes in the middle of a training. I made these choices because of my career. I don't know how that's going to work out. They talk about, I don't know what the aftermath truly is of the hormone replacement, but that was the path I chose to stay competitive. And what other, well, regardless of, let me back up, those side effects will hit you differently than they will other women too. Very true. So there are women who just can't do it. And so- Very true. It's like, wait a second. Okay, it's a competitive advantage to the extent that there's a level playing field, but when it's not a level playing field, and look, life is not a level playing field, I get that. But what I mean is when you're talking about, you know, having some sort of friendly agreement or let alone legislation of this, like, let's just think about, where do you, where's the give? And I, I go back and I think it's reducing the expectations that humans are not going to get sick, that they're not going to have life issues that come up, that they're not going to have kids that need their attention. That this, I'm not enough of a business historian to know when this all started changing, but when corporate profits and shareholder benefits outweighed the human beings delivering those results, I think that's when we lost something. Yeah. And maybe, and I actually think that's one of the reasons why I love working with these smaller businesses and entrepreneurs who are building something, but they're 20, $30 million in revenue. They want to get to 50 and they need someone to come in and pull the CEO out of the sales function 
and put a real leader in there who can focus so that they can focus. And it's like you cut right through all the stuff. There's no BS. There aren't nine levels in the organization where everybody has standing meetings for 90 minutes a week and we don't actually communicate with each other face to face. And I mean, like it's some of that stuff is just so hierarchical and so I understand that it has to be there. I just, someone else can do that. I want to work with people who still have their hands in the business and still are really fired up about what they do and they have a passion and a purpose behind it. And it means something when the sales team wins an account or something like that. And you have an opportunity to run a successful business that makes a big impact, but you can still impact the, or you still have awareness of the humanity of the people in the organization. And there's just... I've worked at a lot of different organizations and those are the ones that fire me up most. I agree. And I love the grit of that. And I think the businesses that are the most successful are the ones that have the flexibility to be open to aligning your team's goals, your team's individual contributors goals with your company goals. Like that's where the magic happens, I think. And you're going to have to have flexibility as a company to be willing, like you, you look at everything that happened with COVID and a remote workforce. Guess what? People can actually get work done from home and might not need mm-hmm. to come into the office. And that does work. And our lives changed on how we did things. And Rachel, the other fractional co-host, or she likes to say recovering co-host during well, that time. Yeah. That, <laughs> during that time, like homeschooling, like she had no choice. And so now she had to change how she did things, but then she was able to adjust to that. So the point is that I think we have to be open-minded as leaders to let people design how they're going to get there. As long as they get there, whatever there is, balance it, have the boundaries, have a plan, coach them to it, but have the flexibility. Well, and I think I'll take the other side of the coin. I think employees need to be open-minded to what happens when you come into the office. Now, ultimately, it's incumbent on the leadership and the corporate executives to make the office a place worth visiting. But I had a discussion with a friend of mine who's who leads a sales team, a young sales team, like young prospectors, SDRs, like this is his wheelhouse. This is where he he thrives. And he's like, Jeff, I need him in the office. I'm like, come on, man. We're salespeople. It's results-oriented. Why do you need to watch them? He's like, I don't need to watch them. I need them to learn by osmosis. And I need them to be steeped in this. He's like, they don't have to come in every day, but I need to foster some kind of team building. I need to foster some kind of you know, environment where just by being in this environment, you get better. He's like, I can schedule all the one-on-ones in the world, but the little asides about, hey, these are my kids at home, or this is what I'm going through, or there's some off-the-field thing that someone overhears a conversation, it just gives you a little bit of context. He's like, listen, HR rules dictate that I can't ask personal questions. I can't ask those kinds of things. There's only so deep you can get, but they can volunteer that stuff. You think they're going to volunteer that stuff on a Teams call? No, it's meetings. We're going to show up. We're going to be productive. We're going to get out. You miss that in-between time. It's like, so look, I'm flexible. I don't need to be here eight hours a day, five days a week, but I want us all here at least one day. And I'd like other people to come in at least two other days a week. And so I can spend the time with them. And I go back to 
windshield time with my managers. You can't talk about deals and pipeline reviews for four hours when you're driving up north. You know what I mean? It's just, I mean, we're humans. And so it's like, hey, what are you up to this weekend? Or, hey, what are your kids into? And it just, it's friendly stuff. It's human. It's relationship building. Right. Those HR rules are there for good reason. Don't get me wrong, especially during the hiring process and things like that to prevent discrimination. I'm not stumping against that. What I'm saying is, again, there's the reality of what the rules dictate and there's reality of what we know will get the job done. And not everything that we did 20 years ago needs to get thrown out because it's just not like that anymore. It's like, we're talking about building a team. And I, my daughter, with I go back to track. Sometimes these meets are forever away. <laughs> and it would be nice if we would just take her after her event and take her home. We're already there. Let's bring her home. If we don't bring her home, that means that last night at nine o'clock, it was a Tuesday night. Last night, at nine o'clock, I picked her and her friend up from the school because the bus dropped off. And so I got to get home. I got to wait. It's nine o'clock. I'd really like to be getting ready for my day tomorrow, but I'm going to go pick her up instead. No, I want her to ride the bus because the bus rides with your teammates coming home from meets on a school night feels like you're getting away with something. Like that's where the magic happens. Yeah. And so it's the same. And I think there's a lot to the office environment that fosters that bus ride home on a school night kind of thing. And and if you're not looking at it that way, I mean, I'm totally against managers saying, come back to the office so I can watch what you're doing every minute. Like, that's stupid. Dude, you got to have better things to do as a leader or you're not a very good leader. But like, there's a happy medium in between. And if you're just working in a cube, crunching numbers, please do that from home. Yeah. Because we can heat and cool and light smaller spaces that way. I'm for that. Yeah. But if you work in a team environment, if you have a job that won't eventually be replaced by robots, <laughs> I think it's probably time for you to consider spending a couple of days a week at the office, if you can, if you have one. Well, this actually reminds me of, I just want to touch on this because I know we don't have a whole lot of time to go into it. This reminds mm-hmm. me of one of the things that I put on my list today of like a recent learning is the difference between the the salty dogs and the young puppies. That's my phrase. The salty, salty dogs. dogs and the... I said this to two young puppies that I was riding along with last week in Chicago and I referenced salty dogs. They're like, what? I'm like, well, you're the puppies and I also work with salty dogs. And they like they couldn't stop laughing at that. And I've noticed something significant in training, the difference between training the more veteran and the greener. I've seen this come up over and over again of veteran salespeople who, I mean, I've been observing role plays and coaching that and coaching in-person selling. And I've got a client who like, they go out and they just walk into, they walk into the business and it's just the type of business that they have that they're selling. They need to do that. And their sales reps, half of them have been selling for 30 years. Don't tell me how to do it. I've always done it this way. And then when I observe the role play, I'm like, is that it? Is that really your approach? I'm like, yeah. you walk in, you ask for the manager's not there and you just leave. I'm like, is that it? Like, that's how I've always done it. I'm like, can, can you leave my business card? Let them know I was here. Exactly. <laughs> so you leave the business card and you leave. I go, and then what? Well, then I'm going to go back. I go, and who are you asking for? 
manager. Because you got to gatekeep the manager. Right. I'm going to ask for the manager. I'm like, I'm just so curious why you didn't get a name. This is the way I've always done it. And I'm like, oh, these are the veterans, right? And then the greener ones are like, oh, that's so amazing, right? They soak it up because they're puppies and they're sponges and they want to learn and they're, I don't care that they don't have as much experience because they're willing to learn. And I've been dealing with leaders on this too, who are like frustrated over that veteran mentality. And they're like, why do you think that is? And I said, here's what I think. And I don't see what Bajoric thinks. I think that so many salespeople have received zero training in their careers. They got thrown in. They're like, all right, sink or swim. I'm going to do it like this. They've had some level of success because they're not fired. They're still there for 30 years and it's worked. And they don't realize that they could actually have more business or be more successful because what they're doing has worked. And now you're asking them to change their ways with this training I'm coming in to do. And they're getting stuck in the, I think, they don't want to come out and say, they don't want to admit that they can learn something new because it's kind of admitting they're not perfect because they're veterans and they should be. Yep. It's a trap. It's, I've done well enough, long enough that a new learning curve just seems like it's not worth, the juice isn't worth the squeeze. Yeah. But there's a big thing here, and this involves all salespeople, not just people who train salespeople. What you mentioned is vulnerability. And they feel like, okay, well, I've got these young pups. I call them, I call the salty dogs wily veterans. <laughs> the, these salty dogs, these gristled wily veterans, they don't want to let their guard down. But anytime you have a customer, and in our case, these people sitting in our training rooms are custom, or are customers. We need to get vulnerable. We need to create a vulnerable space so that they can get vulnerable. And Correct. until they're willing to get vulnerable, they will not learn anything new. And you have to do that with your customer, right? You have to get them to be willing to admit that what they're doing is not yielding the best result, which is why you're there to help them get a better result. But the elephant in the room is, yeah, I'm not doing this as well as I could be right now, but if I say that out loud, I'm not going to make a good impression. And it is it is funny because those people, they hear things and they repeat things like, oh, it's a relationship business. You just need to get to relationships. Like, okay, how do I do that? Well, I take them to lunch. We'll go play golf. Maybe we'll have a couple of beers and bring donuts for the lady at the front desk and she loves me. And it's like, are you serious, dude? And here's the thing. That worked pretty well 25 years ago. That was one of the things that I learned and I got thrown into the fire exactly that way, looking for help, not able to get a whole lot of it, hearing messages from different authors and different, there were no podcasts back in those days. It was just, it was like, um, here's all this information coming to me. I don't know what to do with it. But when you hear things like it's a relationship business, it's like, okay, how do I build a relationship with someone? Oh, well, I'm the sales rep. So I'm supposed to buy stuff, right? Because that's what salespeople do. So if you got, and it's a relationship business and you got to spend money to make money, right? Yeah, I crawled into a heap of credit card debt because I didn't know what to ask for when I was spending that money. And then what I learned, because at this time in orthopedics, in medical device sales, really, there were laws that were put into place where you couldn't buy stuff for people. Like there had to be a business purpose for the meeting. And that's when I learned 
that I could still get meetings even if I wasn't buying stuff for people. Because even the people who liked me, even the people who I'd take lunch in once a month or whatever, they weren't buying anything more from me. They were just like, hey, thanks, Jeff. They didn't realize it was coming out of my pocket. They thought it was just some corporate entity signing credit card receipts for this. And so the whole context for the value exchange was totally off. And so you're an older, more experienced, more grizzled veteran sales rep, salty dog. And you're just telling these young pups, hey, it's just about relationships. Got to show up. Got to be cool. Got to have a slick smile and a great handshake. And then eventually you got to deliver value. I come in and I'm like, okay, it's a relationship business, but what's the relationship based on? It's a relationship based on food delivery? Or are you saying, hey, look, I know you don't have a lot of time because you're busy. I'm busy too, but everybody's got to eat. Tell you what, why don't we eat together? We'll have a quick conversation. Won't have you for more than 20 minutes. It'll be worth the price of a conversation and turkey sandwich to me. Can we just do this? Like that's a completely different tenor. And it's a different exchange too. I'm going to, I'm going to take you to lunch. You're going to give me your time versus let me just drop off some donuts for the nice lady at the front. Oh, who he, who you probably call sweetie and smile at and totally degrade. <laughs> and it's like, and I don't know how many times, particularly in small businesses where that lady is like the CEO's wife and you don't know because you're not paying attention. And she also is the office manager and she actually runs the business, right? And it's real easy to look past her. Oh my God, we literally had that actual scenario. So I'm doing these ride-alongs with these two, two just, I just love working with them. They're young, one's 26, one's 31. They they wanted me to like ride along and prod them, right? And just to Mm -hmm. push them in these walk-ins and we, and they sell trucks and they do truck financing. And so we walk into this one place and they just kept, they just carried me around and like, ah, this is our sales manager. So it was just hysterical. And I so we doing that. So, oh my God, it was so much, it was so much fun. So we walk in and this older woman, all like she's to the nines, older woman, she's all made up. I think she had to be Italian. It was an Italian area of Chicago and she's got these gold chains on and she's behind a glass sliding door and we put the newer guy. I'm like, okay, you're up this time. And so yeah. he's like, oh, okay. And so he walks in and he's like trying to get her attention. And she's like, slide the glass. Slide the glass. She's sitting there, but she won't slide it, right? She's like, you need to slide the glass. I can't hear you. Awesome. Yeah. You can't figure it out. We're laughing. And he finally gets it open. I'm like, please don't hold it against him that he doesn't know how to open a window. It's all right. And... So we we gather as much data from her as we can, and she gives us all the information we're asking for and who to talk to and who we should reach out to. And he's like, is he here now? And he he did a great job. And she's like, all right, slide the glass back. (laughs) And I said, Mary, should we, how do you do? Should we keep him? She's like, oh, yes, you should definitely keep him. And we walk out and I go, guys, for all you know, she's the owner of this company. Yeah, I mean, Mary was in charge. Yes. Mary was Mary was running it for sure. I mean, she was too put together to not be running the joint. Yeah. And too confident. To, like, oh, yeah. It's my window, but I'm going to make you open it. <laughs> I'm going to make you put everything back the way you found it before you leave, too. <laughs> so it was so awesome. That Mary is a woman your mother warned you about. <laughs> she is. She is. I should have given Making her a mistake. 
Should have given her the podcast cards. So that's been my learning lately is leaders who are frustrated. I've got a couple leaders right now who are frustrated with how their veterans are responding and reacting mm-hmm. to things. And one of them called me and said, I want your advice on how to give them consequences. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> I'm like, let's turn this around. Let's take a different approach. Let's not talk about consequences. What if we talked about what's in it for them like you would with a customer? Right, because as a leader, your reps are your customers. Let's make that clear. The conversation goes something like this. Gina, you've been serving this company for a long time. I know you got a couple of years left. You've already talked to you want to hang them up. This is where you want to ride off into the sunset. I appreciate that. Here's the deal. This company's got to grow. I need growth out of you. If you can't do it, what I'm going to need to do is put a junior rep in half your territory. And I'm going to ask you to help lead them along because my responsibility is to grow this business. And I'm looking at you to continue to lead. If you choose that you don't want to tell you what, I'm not going to fire you. You and I both know I'm not going to fire you, but I'm going to ask you to do something different. And I need growth out of this geography. If I got to put someone else there, I will reluctantly do it. How would you like me to proceed? Ooh, Jeff, that is good stuff. It's just, it's the accountability of, here's what we both know we need to do. I'm going to give you first right of refusal on how to do it. You've earned that right. We can argue about whether or not they actually have, but I don't mind giving them that right in this place, Yeah. in this situation. This is what I need from this territory. You own this territory, but if I don't get it, I got, if I don't get it from you, I got to get it from somebody and that this is my job. And you have to earn the relationship to get to that point. But yeah, and I think you got to also circle back to the vulnerability piece that we talked about, because again, I need growth out of you. If you feel like you need some other support, some help, some like it's okay to say. And that's what this other leader that I'm working with said. And and he's right on the spot all the time. He's like, they're just uncomfortable. I need them to get to a place. And we had a meeting with all the district managers of how to coach around this, like, it's okay to say, it's okay if you don't know everything after this many years. It's okay. It's all right. We're sorry we didn't give you training earlier. We're giving it to you now. It's okay. And create a space to say, it's okay that you don't know it all. What kind of tools can I give you now to get you to the next level, to help you grow, to help the company grow? You grow, we grow, everybody wins kind of. I know we're out of time for today, but I wanted to slip in that whole salty dog veteran versus because this has come up so much. So I'm sure there's some value to someone listening to this. Yeah. Well, let's talk about it again. Yeah, we'll bring it up again. I know you're busy. I'm busy. We both got to bounce. Can't wait to have you back. It's good to be busy. It's always good to be with you. Oh, I am going to keep that outtake for sure. (laughs) That might show up in a clip. And yes, I did tell Nian to not. Well, I don't know if I told him not to do it. I don't remember, but I told him this is where the podcast starts. Comes out. I told him this is where the podcast starts, and he just ran with keeping the whole thing in. And then my social media person ran with pulling that out as reels. Sorry, not sorry. I think it's I watch it. I watch it every couple days because it's hysterical. Anyway, 
Thank you, listeners, to listening to this episode of The Women Your Mother Warns You About, themed as Learning Out Loud with myself and Jeff Bajoric. Thank you to Sales Gravy for sponsoring this podcast. And hey, go check out salesgravy.university. Whether you're a salty dog or a young puppy, I'll probably get letters of complaints on that. Go check out salesgravy.university to uplevel your game with our courses. Jeff, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, see you soon. Bye, everybody.